Hello and welcome to something new from the New Look Bunker. Bunker USA, where every Saturday we're going to be taking a look at the volatile and fascinating political situation across the Atlantic. From the Oath Keepers to the Proud Boys, from the arc of Biden's presidency to what's going on in the Supreme Court, we'll be bringing you experts and insiders who can explain exactly what's going on in the world's most powerful democracy. I'm Andrew Harrison, and on this first edition, who is Ron DeSantis and what does he want? The combative, extremely conservative Florida governor has been touted as the Republicans' best alternative to Trump as a presidential candidate for 2024, and he's burnished his extreme credentials with a relentless anti-woke crusade, picking a fight with Disney over LGBTQ education in classrooms and a shamelessly political stunt where he flew 50 illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, the spiritual home of the Democrat elite in protest against Biden's immigration policies. The rivalry between DeSantis and Trump is rancorous, but what do we need to know about the man who could well be the 47th president of the USA? Here to explain the march of DeSantis to me is Politico Florida's Bureau Chief Matt Dixon. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. So, um, right, Florida man might become president. What's going on here? Yeah, that's going to be a, a, a very popular headline here over the next uh, next couple of years. But Ron DeSantis, our, our governor, he's been been in office for, for three years and he's currently running for re-election, has sort of captured the imagination of Republicans and conservatives across the country, just, you know, well outside of Florida. He's after the, the COVID-19 pandemic, that was really the moment that sparked fire for him. Um, he sort of reopened the state of Florida much faster than than a lot of other states. He's sort of became, after the pandemic, the the sort of, for conservatives, the aspirational ideal of what a governor should be. He became he's very hands-off during the pandemic. He opened the state a lot quicker. From there, he got a lot of national attention. And from his, as you mentioned, sort of anti-woke culture war policy portfolio since then, he's only caught more fire with national conservatives. And pretty much any any poll that you take of 2024, if, if Donald Trump is not part of that poll, Ron DeSantis wins with Republicans. And if the two of them are together, they kind of run neck and neck these days. So it's been sort of a, a fascinating bit of, of, of political jockeying. So for the average ignorant British person, i.e. me. <laughs> what is the background of this guy? How did he get to be who he is at the moment? He, he was in the military. He was a, a Jake. He was an attorney uh, in the military. Uh, I went to, to Yale and Harvard to, you know, Ivy League institutions to the best universities in, in the United States. So he's got a, a fairly prestigious background and resume. He actually spent three terms, I believe, in Congress. He represented a, a, a sort of a sleepy district here, didn't get a lot of attention even within Florida, but he went on some, he, he became a bit of a darling on, on conservative media, uh, Fox News and, and other sort of right-leaning conservative outlets here, uh, really took a liking to him. And that's what sort of expanded his portfolio a little bit. He actually ran for U.S. Senate here and lost. And then uh, he, he or didn't lose. He, he ended up getting out of that race. And then from there, he uh, he set his sights on running for governor. And Donald Trump helped him get there. Uh, Donald Trump endorsed him, which ended up being enough. So he, he blew out his Republican opponent and ended up just beating his Democratic opponent. So he he's had a really quick rise about a decade ago. I don't think even Republicans in Florida really knew who he was. And now he's, you know, a national figure among Republicans. So it's been a really quick ascent for DeSantis. So if there's one thing that Trump really cannot bear, it is being opposed and being disagreed with. How is Trump on today's DeSantis, who seems to be playing kind of footsie with the nomination, you know, not actually coming out and saying, yes, I want it, but making it very clear that he is there for it if it comes loose? 
It's the worst kept secret in American politics that Ron DeSantis <laughs> wants to be president. It's, he, he won't say it out loud, but it's it's something everyone who pays attention is sort of aware of. And Trump hasn't yet himself publicly gone after DeSantis. There's stories and anecdotes of, of how he speaks about him behind the scenes. And he kind of views him as a politician he created. He views Ron DeSantis as his creation because he really did help make him governor. And he's, you know, at this point sort of scoffs at the idea that you know, if the two ran against each other, for instance, that Trump thinks he would he would beat DeSantis handily. There are some in President Trump's orbit, um, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, his, his son, Don Jr., who have taken less than subtle shots at DeSantis over things like, as you had mentioned, uh, Governor DeSantis funded a flight to Martha's Vineyard with Venezuelan asylum seekers, migrants from the southern border to Martha's Vineyard. Jared Kushner, the, the president's son-in-law, was actually critical of that openly. Um, and there's also been a little distance between the two on COVID-19 vaccines. The COVID-19 vaccine was here was was developed under Trump's administration, and he wants credit for it. He had this thing called Operation Warp Speed. That was a an operation to get a COVID vaccine made quickly. And the Trump administration did it. So Trump's actually been fairly pro-vaccine, and he's talked about that. While as DeSantis has, has sort of openly flirted with, with anti-vaxxers, he hasn't gone as far as saying he opposes the vaccine, but he he essentially follows the, the science and the experts who, who are very much uh, skeptical of the vaccine. So that's also been an area of distance between the two. I believe DeSantis said that Anthony Fauci should be thrown in the Potomac or over yeah. the Potomac. Yes, yes. I, I believe uh, he is not a fan of Anthony Fauci. He's actually selling uh, merchandise on his campaign website about fire Fauci and don't Fauci my Florida and various hilarious uh, quotes like that. So yeah, he uh, he definitely wanted to skip Fauci like a rock across the Potomac River. <laughs> yes. This comes as a package of, of fairly uncompromisingly hardline positions, which seem to be aimed at the lowest common denominator. You know, he's been part of spreading conspiracies that the FBI orchestrated the January the 6th attacks. He signed something called the Stop Woke Act. Woke being short for stop the wrongs to our kids and employees, which is a real stretch. Right. And at the infamous don't say gay bill. I mean, does he actually believe this stuff or is it the platform that's going to take him to the White House? I think it's a mix. I do think he's, to his core, very conservative and to the on the right flank of even the, the Republican Party or the Conservative Party here. Was a co-founder of a thing in, in the U.S. Congress called the Freedom Caucus, which is sort of a collection of very conservative Republicans who would challenge even Republican leadership, you know, try to push Republican leadership to the right. So he's always been very conservative. So I do think he's not totally making this up or doing it all for for politics but but he does believe in some of it that said he communicates them very well and they speak and they energize the the conservative base voter and i think he's figured that out so to kind of to your direct question do you believe this or does he believe this or is it politics raw politics i think it sits at the intersection i think DeSantis does believe some of this at his core but he's also a smart and strategic um and and I, I think he realizes this was a way to amplify him to republicans even out side of Florida. And, and from that perspective, it has certainly worked. How important is Florida nationally? In this country, we tend to think, well, you know, California is an outside state and Texas is an outside state. And these they tend to sort of exercise massive gravitational pull on the politics of the country. But increasingly, it seems like Florida is more the place where that happens. Yeah, well, well Florida forever has been sort of what they referred to as the nation's largest swing state, the, the biggest state in the country that either party can win. California is very friendly to Democrats. Texas historically has been very friendly to Republicans. But in Florida, both teams can win. So it's been seen as, as very important, one of the most important individual states in national politics and presidential campaigns. It's increasingly changing a bit. It's going under a bit of an evolution. 
I've been in Florida now for almost 15 years. And I don't, outside of when President Barack Obama ran uh, his two campaigns and won the state, Democrats haven't really won a race of, of consequence here in, you know, a very long time. So it's becoming a redder or redder or center right state. And it's becoming very important to, to Republicans nationally. There are Republicans who are actually picking up their lives and moving to Florida because they see DeSantis as sort of the, the freedom governor. And they, they talk about this a lot. So it's becoming more important to Republicans. But as far as its its role in, in national campaigns, it, it might be sinking a little bit. There's math out there. For, for instance, Joe Biden did not win Florida and he still became president. So for Democrats, they don't even necessarily need to win Florida anymore to win presidential campaigns. Republicans still do. So there's a lot of importance uh, for the state nationally. That's just kind of changing and evolving a little bit. Do we know why Florida is getting redder and redder? Because, I mean, Republicans keep winning elections, honestly. And there's, there's, <laughs> I'm just thinking well, at a democratic, well, demographic level well, more than no, anything. No, there's nothing demographically. Let me, let me, okay. let me, sort, of, let me sort of reframe that. Uh, on paper, Florida still should be a very swing state. It's the Democrats have a, a – Republicans, excuse me, have a slight voter registration advantage. But it's not, it's not massive. Part of one of the bigger structural issues is, is Republicans are uh, here, at least, to some degree, just to put it bluntly, better at politics. For years, the Florida Democratic Party has sort of been a bit of a circular firing squad. They've put up not very good candidates. Sometimes they struggle to raise money. And at the national level, Democrats here are kind of starting to write Florida off. And what that means is they're giving less money to Democrats here. And it's sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy where the people who help fund elections in this country are seeing Florida is not worth the, the investment anymore. So they're investing less and Democrats keep losing. So it's kind of spiraled a little bit in that regard without question. I want to wind back a little bit and talk a little bit more about that controversy over the Don't Say Gay Bill, formerly the Parental Rights and Education Act, which is this very strange episode in which a bill has passed uh, restricting discussion of LGBT themes in education. Disney criticizes it. And then DeSantis kind of sponsors a law specifically to punish Disney World, one of the largest or possibly the largest employer in the state. They kind of lost a load of tax exemptions and, and the ability to tax and provide services internally, independently of the rest of the state. Tell me what went on there, because, you know, the idea that a pro-business government conservative would like go to war with the biggest employer in the state is kind of bizarre. Well, that's actually, uh, you, you hit on another, and I'll, I'll touch on that, but you hit on another theme there. DeSantis is sort of leading the charge for Republicans in this country is is less pro-business. Uh, oh, right. Okay. They historically have been. You're, you're very right. But what they see in, in Disney is the biggest snapshot is businesses and corporations can be, quote, woke. And what that means, if a, if a corporation, you know, supports a policy or it opposes a policy that, that Ron DeSantis likes, that business becomes the enemy. So he's less ingrained with sort of the business community and the business special interests than Republicans have historically been because he's much more focused on the culture war stuff than, say, tax policy or business regulation. Those just aren't his major focuses and aren't what made him the politician that he is today. 
So sort of in that vein, you're right. Disney actually just issued a statement. They didn't necessarily lobby against it or, or spend money against it. They issued a statement and DeSantis ran with that and really sort of amplified the fight with Disney. And out of complete nowhere, no one was, was really expecting him to propose legislation that removed Disney's ability to self-govern uh, a long, long time ago, decades and decades ago. And the Florida gave Disney the right to essentially be its own city. It has, you know, police force, it has, it has its own garbage collection. But in order to fund that, it, it collects a levy on people who own property in, in this, this designated area. And Ron DeSantis filed a bill or didn't, he didn't file a bill. He championed a bill. The legislature filed and said, well, you can't do this anymore, Disney. And essentially that was in response to Disney issuing a statement against one of his, his priority, you know, pieces of legislation or one of his priority policies, the, the so-called don't say gay bill. I read it described as on your first day in prison, going and punching the biggest guy you can find to make a name for yourself, like going up against Disney as a corporate giant, but also a symbol of so much. Yeah, no, he, he definitely shanked the biggest guy in the yard when he went after Disney. That was a, <laughs> It's a company that has funded Republican politics in the state of Florida for a very long time, widely regarded as one of the most politically powerful companies in the state and, and to some degree nationally. But they could do nothing about it. They, the, the lawmakers, all the members of the legislature whose campaigns they funded, all voted against Disney. Disney got completely rolled because because Governor DeSantis is becoming a, a big national figure. And if you're a Republican politician, it's better for your career to vote with Ron DeSantis than it is to vote with Disney. What's it like? As a human being, what's he like as a person? I think there's a, a general perception of him being sort of rather prickly. Uh, you, you talk to a lot of people who have dealt with him for, for long periods of time, and he's not exactly a warm and fuzzy personality. And that's kind of strange, actually, for, for politicians here, especially in the South, where there's sort of a tradition of the guys who can turn a phrase and they're, you know, baby kissers and sweet, you know, sort of personalities. Mm. So Ron DeSantis runs contrary to what traditional American Southern politicians are, but it's, it's worked you know, obviously very well for him. And it's strange that it, even Trump has this weird kind of charisma that yeah. works spectacularly well on certain people. People will fall in line for him. The idea that the alternative could be somebody who's kind of kind of a bit of a dick, really, and yeah. still might be a front runner is strange. Yeah, DeSantis. And, that, and that's a lot of uh, people when he does ultimately run nationally in, in some of the early states that are important in presidential elections. Uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, you'll you'll hear about very early. Our, our small states and, and literally early presidential candidates have to walk into diners with a bunch of television cameras there and interact with voters and and do it in a way that comes off as you know that they they care and they want to be there. Those aren't necessarily Ron DeSantis' strong suits, so I, I'm not sure that that necessarily kneecaps him. But there are those who are openly speculating. If he runs for president and gets to that stage, you know, how is he going to to be able to adapt in that environment? It's really interesting what you're saying, because I kind of came into this thinking that like he's almost like Trump without the Trump. You know, he's like Trump without the crazy hair and the legal troubles and the wild baggage and the wild extemporization and the obnoxiousness. But what you've described is a guy who almost lacks many of the advantages of Trump, that he's kind of extremely ambitious and visibly so and not in any way charismatic. It's just brute force. Yeah, he's brute force. He's Trump without the charisma, I guess. Is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For better or worse, but it, it does sort of fly in the face of what we would think is the, the political science textbook version of a political candidate. But he hits on these themes and these culture war issues that are the, the people who follow these things are so incredibly passionate about that all of those things, you know, when, when 
Ron DeSantis goes after someone or, you know, attacks someone and it's kind of angrily lashes out at them. In the past, people would be maybe turned off by that. They would say, well, that's that's not a great attribute in our politicians. But today his followers love it. I mean, it's 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 professional wrestling when he lashes out at a reporter or a Democrat or one of his opponents. It's not a turnoff for in this day and age in politics. It's it's seen as a a good thing. They're a fighter. They're willing to take on the system. The moment before you said professional wrestling, I I was just thinking, God, it sounds like he's describing the kind of villain turn. Yeah. Like the main guy. No, no, he's he he's definitely the heel. The, the the term the heel is the the bad guy in professional wrestling, and he uh, I, I think he wears the heel title very well. So this debate that's going on within the Republicans over whether Trump, for all of the loyalty he commands, might be just too compromised, might be a busted flush, his moment might have gone. I mean, we're already seeing the Murdoch press and Fox sort of stroking its chin a little bit about Trump and wondering whether DeSantis is the guy. How do you think that's going? In which direction is it heading? Well, it, it depends who you ask. Um, I think the large donor types, Republican donors and people who do politics professionally have some Trump exhaustion. Um, I, I, I think they would be happy to move on. And they see Ron DeSantis as a vehicle for getting similar policies without some of the January 6th baggage or the endless investigations. But some of the grassroots and I mean, the, you know, the more average voters who are intense Republican voters who, who love President Trump and are part of the Make America Great crowd, they are still very much with him. If you you go to rallies or you go to live events where, where President Trump is, I do think he still has a strong, strong, strong base of support among average conservative voters. So there's a bit of a split. I, I think the donor class and, and those who aren't the types who go to rallies, but rather hold fundraisers and five-star hotels are ready to move on. But uh, the, the grassroots and the, the more you know traditional voters or average voters, I, I think are still very much with him. What sort of a president do you think he would make were he to win it? I think we would see him in the White House the same way that we've seen him in Florida's governor's mansion. He's pretty in tune with with the Republican base. That's the lens through which he governs. I mean, almost all of his policies are are very political. They're very divisive. They're loved by conservatives. They're absolutely hated by Democrats. And I think to some degree, we would see a lot of that in, in, in the White House. I think he would bring that combativeness. Certainly, he's already brought it to the national stage. But if he were to become president, it wouldn't just be on the national stage. He would sort of be amplifying it from, from the White House. Has he ever shown any tendency to kind of reach out beyond his base? Early on, yes. There's, there's actually an interesting evolution for Governor DeSantis. His first year or two in office, he was one of the most popular governors in the country, and even even Democrats kind of liked him. His early policy positions were increasing pay for teachers. He put a bunch of funding into the environmental funding, including the Everglades, which is a, a big environmental issue in, in the state of Florida, and was seen as sort of unexpectedly bipartisan. Then the pandemic hit, and the DeSantis that we know and see today kind of emerged, and it's it's been the guy you know ever since. So initially in his term in office, he he there are Democrats who had sort of an uneasy truce with him, but since that time, absolutely not. I mean his his press team will will go on social media and they'll act you know absolutely say things like never apologize, always double down. You know, there's never explain yourself. So there's an active sort of attempt to to sort of antagonize and go after people, which which is you know just kind of who he has become. So it's Trump without the class as well. This is great. Yeah, well, yeah, I I think there are a lot of similarities between Trump and DeSantis, and there are uh, certainly some differences. <laughs> What's the one thing that a British person tonight going into the pub for a drink should be saying about DeSantis to make themselves look smart and informed? 
I think they should say about Ron DeSantis that he has a very good likelihood of being the Republican nominee for president in 2024. And President Trump probably isn't going to run again, if, if I were guessing. If I were, when I go into a pub here tonight, that's what I'm going to be saying. Okay. Well, we hope to see you in a pub here at some point. I, I would love nothing more. I'll, I'll, next time they're over, I'll bring my cheese head. Definitely. That's by the way, <laughs> listeners, you might not be aware of this because we were talking before we started recording. The Green Bay Packers, which is Matt's team, were playing in London this week. And I saw a guy with a cheese head helmet on in Seven Sisters Tube. It was beyond belief. Never seen anything <laughs> like it in my life. Matt Dixon, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fascinating. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Listeners, uh, if you enjoyed that, there's another Bunker USA this time next week. And of course, a brand new Bunker Daily every single day. Back us on Patreon and you will get them all early and without ads. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. And remember, the old Bunker panel show has now got a new life as the first of two editions of Oh God, What Now? every week. First one's out on Tuesday, second one's out on Friday. Thank you for listening. See you next time. God help America. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Jacob Archbold, Yelna Sofronievich, and me, Alex Reese. The assistant producer was Kasia Tomashevich. Our marketing manager is Gina Richard. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>